May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God our Father through his Son, his only Son, the victorious Son, Jesus the Christ. There were combatants in a conflict ten days ago. There were conquerors, and there was comfort for my feet after I walked 53 miles in five days for my work and my watching of the Ryder Cup golf tournament at Whistling Straits on the shores of Majestic Lake, Michigan. Two teams of 12 golfers each were contesting the prize. Half of the golfers from the United States wore red, white, and blue. The other half, the best of the Europeans, were clad in blue and gold. These were some of the combatants, Spieth and Deschambeau, Murakawa, Garcia, and McElroy and Rahm. Each team was trying to attain, attain 14 and a half points to claim possession of a rather small golden trophy called the Ryder Cup. That was the conflict, and that was the goal. It's over. And as much fun as it was to be part of it, the Ryder Cup was trivial compared to the spiritual the serious spiritual issue described in God's word. May the Holy Spirit give us attentive ears and expectant hearts on this feast of St. Michael and all saints to ponder God's word about combatants and conflict, about a conqueror, and about our comfort. People God dearly loves. Angels are all over Scripture from beginning to end. We just confessed in the Nicene Creed that God the Father is the maker of all things visible and invisible. Angels are not imaginary like the Tooth Fairy or the Easter Bunny. Angels are not cute little cupids with bows and arrows. Angels are real but they are spirit creatures. They're usually unseen. Perhaps Donatelman told the younger children that. But they can appear and at times take on human form as God sends them out. For angels were created to praise God, to be his messengers, and to serve his people. I think that angels were created on the fourth day. When God called into existence the sun and the moon, the stars and the planets, all the heavenly bodies, might he also have called into existence the heavenly beings? In Job 38, God asks this question, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God, the angels, sang for joy? And in Hebrews 1, we read, of the angels, God says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire also. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? There's more. Today's psalm declares, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And Psalm 34 assures us, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Yahweh 
and delivers them. Now I need to say this. All the angels were all good at the beginning. For God's creation was perfect in every way. But there was a revolt in heaven. And Satan was the ringleader. Jude 6 tells us. The angels who did not stay within their position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And 1 Peter 3 calls these fallen angels the spirits in prison who did not obey. Just who is Mike Angel in today's Old Testament reading and today's epistle? He's one of the chief princes. He is an archangel. His name means who is like God. The only other archangel named in the Bible is Gabriel. His name means God is my strong one. Now we don't call them by name every Sunday But the church does remember these two archangels in the proper preface. You know it, and you'll hear it soon. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. But we get this festival, this special festival, wrong if we focus on the angels, Michael included, and not on the Lord of the angels. Because the holy angels... Focus on Christ. So do we. We need to remember the angel who speaks to John in the last chapter of Revelation. He says, don't worship me, worship God. I'm a fellow servant. Look at the greatest events of the salvation story. Angels were there, not to point to themselves, but always to point to Jesus. At the Annunciation to Mary at the assurance to Joseph, greeting the shepherds outside Jerusalem with good news of great joy outside of Bethlehem, a host of angels singing glorias to the newborn Savior, an angel strengthening Jesus after he is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, an angel sent to Jesus as he prays in Gethsemane before he is betrayed and arrested and crucified, Angels stand at the open tomb to announce, He is not here, He is risen. And angels assure the disciples and us that the ascended Lord will return physically to gather His church. So maybe you've been wondering when I'm going to get back to the combatants, the conflict, the conqueror, and the comfort. I will now. The portions of the book of Daniel we heard today have nothing to do with a pagan statue and a red-hot furnace or a pit filled with hungry lions. They're in the apocalyptic section of this book. Things are hidden that are going to be made known, and these are words of encouragement to God's people in exile and still to us today. And I'll remind you that the revelation of St. John is not a prediction of what is going to happen. It's not a blueprint, as some Christians wrongly imagine, of current or future events involving Israel and Islam and Russia and the United States. But revelation 
is a picture of the great cosmic conflict, the battle for salvation. Both of these scriptures, Daniel and Revelation, tell us that God delivers his people. In Daniel 10 and 11, God speaks assurance of political deliverance, but that points to a greater deliverance from a greater conflict. And Revelation echoes this truth in strong images. The fierce dragon is Satan. He's not Puff, the magic dragon. He's the ancient serpent. He's the deceiver in the garden. He's the devil. And Revelation 12 retells his fall. For Michael and all the holy angels oppose the dragon and his unholy angels. He is defeated and cast out. His power to condemn the saints is ended. Yet he still prowls like a roaring lion, the Apostle Peter writes, seeking to devour. The combatant is singular. It is ultimately Christ. It is Christ alone. And the great conflict is the cross, where Christ is all alone. Not even a single angel is there at Golgotha. On that barren mountain, Jesus is punished in our place. And the obedient son is forsaken by his Father, for he bears all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame. But by his death, Christ wins. And this is a once-for-all time and a once-for-all people victory. The conflict is ended by the perfect and pure blood of the Lamb. The conflict is acclaimed by the word of testimony that the saints declare. As we speak the certain pronouncement of Jesus, it is finished. The price is paid in full. The conflict is completed when the angels stand at the open tomb on resurrection morning and proclaim, He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. The accuser is silenced. He cannot taunt you with his lies. You've sinned too much to be forgiven. You haven't repented well enough. You haven't cleaned up your act. Yet the salvation-celebrating work of God's holy angels continues until Jesus returns in glory. This is our comfort today and every Sunday. The angels always rejoice at a sinner who repents. They rejoice when sinners are washed at the font and the saints speak a strong amen. They rejoice when sinners hear the freeing words of absolution and speak a sure amen. They rejoice when sinners kneel to receive the very body and blood of Christ in and with and under the bread and wine to receive the forgiveness of the cross in this place to which we speak a confident amen. And the angels rejoice when the saints of God receive our Lord's blessing to close the divine service and speak a glad amen. The combatant has conquered. The conflict is ended. There is only 
this comforting good news. No more. No more, no more sin, no more guilt, no more death, no more sorrow, no more. Only joy, only peace, only this wonderful assurance, your names are written in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.